Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. Do you remember that the distinction that Jesus made with the rich young ruler? He told him, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor. People get all hung up on the money part of that. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, just give all your money. No, that's not the point. The point was there was something between the rich young ruler and Jesus. There was this, this, this something was in the way from him having the fullness and the best of what God wanted for him. See, God wants to bless. God wants to do those things in our lives. The Bible challenges us in, in Malachi chapter three. Test him. This is the only place in scripture where God says, test me. Prove this out for yourself. As an individual, just prove this out to yourself. If you didn't do this thing that I won't honor and bless and open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing that you can't even contain it. Does that mean that now we're gonna blab it and grab it and try and get the best car that we think we want and all that stuff? Think of your requests and my requests that we make. And we're always asking God to really give us something. It, we're, we're, we're just very absorbed that way. When you go and pray, you're asking God to give you something. And God wants to hear from you. He's, he's your dad. He wants to interact with you that way, but he doesn't want you to be a selfish two-year-old your whole journey, you see? He wants you to grow. He's growing a family. He wants you to grow up and, and, and just become a little bit not so absorbed with what you have because he knows that you find fulfillment because as a follower, a child of his, you're, you're now got this, this God DNA now. You see, you've been born again. And now God wants you to, to experience the benefits, right, of giving. Man, giving is such a powerful truth. Paul starts getting into this. This congregation is a blessed congregation. You remember, they, have, they lack in no gift of the Spirit. Nothing. God just has been so lavish with that group. And Paul really has told him, God has blessed you guys beyond belief. But he wants them to be givers also because that's a godly characteristic. Be a recipient, also be, so you're not just the reservoir, you know, that all of a sudden you're glutted up. You know, we become such fat sheep, we can't move around. We just kind of roll around and stuff. You know, God wants us to be able to move around and do things, but God wants to flow through us. Moves in us and works through us. He says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. God uses Paul in such a wonderful way here, I think, as he kind of gets him to kind of, you remember in the scriptures where it says provoking one another to good works? It's kind of the right spiritual sense of, hey, come on, try this. You know, it's that, that provocation, but it's a, it's a good, it's a righteous, it's a holy provocation, which is good. Just kind of provoking someone to a good work. Hey, come on, stay with it, stay with it. Provoking someone to a good work, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not the same as trying to guilt people into giving and doing something. That's not what Paul's doing here. I think that's what we see the world doing through the church sometimes, and that's offensive, isn't it? I don't think there's any one of us that haven't been offended by that. As you flick through the channels and you watch some of those things and, 
you know, God's going broke. Oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. What are we gonna do, you know? And seriously, it's just, it's too bad. God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, he says that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, they abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in all your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. See that provocation, he's saying, hey, man, see that you don't, you, you're not lacking in any good thing. Think of how blessed we are. We just spent kind of time with family and friends kind of reflecting on, on how thankful we are for the things that God's doing in, in many of our lives and how blessed we are. And don't you think Paul would say, hey, do some things outside of yourself to display that love toward others. You know, don't just be the recipient, but also, man, be someone who extends that out to others also. I think Paul is very sharp here. And, and I think the Lord really moves in him in a special way because I see Jesus doing something as he observed in Mark chapter 12, Mark's account, chapter 12, where Jesus stands back and watches something going on. It was a normal function of, at the temple but Jesus sat with some of the disciples in verse 41. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury. And you remember there were these uh, large chests. They called them trumpets, but they were these large chests where people came and they, they dropped in their resources that they wanted to give uh, to the temple. And so they would be coming through and they'd be dropping off. And, and there's a big you know, so-and-so's dropped in so much, you know, that kind of thing goes on. It's not exactly like that. It's my version, but it's kind of that type of thing. And, and there's just all this, yeah, ooh, you know, who's got a thousand, you know, and that kind of thing. It starts popping around and yeah, it, it creates like a circusy, weird environment. Well, let's read on. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. He was observing how, not how much necessarily, but how. And it's so important because Paul kind of capitalized on that. And we'll go back to that in just a minute. How the people put in money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quandrous which, you know, it's just, it's next to, it's very little. And so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, hey guys, check it out. Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given 
to the treasury. She put in more than all of those people combined so far. They put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Obviously, Jesus watched and saw, and knowing all things, and Jesus saw and thought that it was important enough to make note of that and to say, look at how people are giving. Look at what is the motivation in there to do that. You remember David buying a threshing floor, you know, he said, hey, I am not, because he said, no, no, David, take it, man, it's yours. He said, no way, I am not taking anything that doesn't cost me something. He understood this principle from the heart. And it, it, it sometimes does. It sometimes is costly. And I think this idea of giving, yes, it has to do with the collection for the saints. Yes, it has to do with financial resources, but it extends far beyond that, doesn't it? It really extends to our time and our energy, our efforts in the things that we put forth toward things. But you know what I'm saying. There's just a lot that there's, we put in this energy and effort towards something. But Paul's heart is, what is it that's really going to matter when it's said and done? He noticed and wanted to make attention at how did this other, these other churches in Macedonia who were struggling, they weren't as blessed, they didn't have so much stuff, but in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, and even in their deep poverty in verse 2, abounded in the riches of their liberality. Even though they were in poverty, even though they were personally impoverished, they, they did something, they, they gave, they put forth something to participate in this, to bless the congregation back in Jerusalem. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing and imploring even with much urgency, this great desire to be a part of it. They wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to be connected with something bigger than themselves, something that God was doing. It was an, a, a way that they could display fellowship at a distance. It was a way that they could show camaraderie and fellowship, a unity in the spirit. And they wanted to be a part of that. Even if it wasn't much monetarily, maybe it wasn't but there was an abundance of their gift because out of their poverty, just like the widow with the two mites. Now, the thing you'll notice is that as we go through, you'll find that in the gospels, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about this, how we give, the way we live, all that as it's directly connected to our resources, our time, our energies, everything. Jesus spent a lot of time on that. We also then find in Acts, the early church totally functioned this way, totally. That was the way it all rolled. Everything was just spontaneous and they just realized, hey, there's a need, let's meet the need. They just did everything they could to, to work together to fulfill God's ultimate purpose in what he was doing. And that was, some of that was very spontaneous and instantaneous. And it isn't necessarily doctrine, but certainly giving, again, Paul quotes as you go through Acts, you find he says, it's more blessed to give. He said, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul quoted that. You'll notice when you read through, if you get a red letter edition, you'll find that Jesus said that in Acts 20, verse 35. It is more blessed to give 
than to receive. And so you see, we start seeing that doctrine, you remember we talked about this from time to time, Doctrine is developed, a solid teaching or something that you and I can live by, share with others, pass on, that is grained into our lives, becomes a part of our lives, is a teaching or a doctrine. And we find it first, the gospels, that Jesus taught it. We then find that the early church in Acts was doing it. We find then three, all you need is three main ingredients for, to establish solid doctrine. And then you find, oh, yeah, and then the letters reinforce that same thing. So if the letters reinforce it, then it all fits together. We find this to be true as we're reading about that very topic right now in one of the letters, and it goes on and on and on throughout many of the letters. Uh, we find the same thing being reinforced. Again, I believe it's because the very nature of who God is. We also find that I'll read, just read this quickly out of Luke chapter 6. Find the same thought in place. Speaking about how we, if we're merciful, if we're forgiving, if we're loving, how we handle ourselves. It says in verse 38 of chapter 6 of Luke's account, he says, Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. An interesting principle. Again, it's that idea of if you give much, you're gonna be blessed much. God's gonna honor that. If you're doing that from the right heart, the right motivation of the heart that you just want to give, no strings attached. That's the real heart of giving. No strings attached, just giving liberally. This is what Paul is describing in verses one through seven of this church. He also then goes and gives this example of how the Lord did that in verse eight. I speak not by commandment, but am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. He says, I'm showing you, I'm provoking you. He's honest about what he's saying. I'm kind of, he's not comparing necessarily. He's just saying, hey, they didn't even have much and look at what God, how God's moved with them. And you guys with abundance, what, what is it that you could do? How awesome would that be? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul said to the Philippians, Jesus did not consider it robbery to make himself equal with God. He is God. He did not consider it robbery. But taking the form of a bondservant, he was willing to go to that length to, to make himself a bondservant and then to the suffering of the cross that we might be the beneficiaries of that blessing, of his willingness this is the same point, the same thought. Jesus has always existed. He's part of the triune Godhead. It wasn't like, oh man, I created these human beings and they're just such idiots and I can't keep track of them. And so now, you know, they're just all messed up. And so now, oh, like the light bulb came on for God. Oh, I know, you know, I'm gonna, you know, have a son that'll go down and then... This is a pre-existent plan that God had. And for us, it's kind of hard to grasp all this. It's hard for me anyway. I can't grasp all that. But that's how 
that's, he's worthy of our worship. If you could understand all of it, then don't worship him. If you can figure God out, then he's not worthy of your worship. God is far and beyond what we could ever really fully comprehend, and I'm thankful for that. But in his plan of salvation, knowing that we would need our Savior, he created this plan all from the very beginning. So Jesus steps out of eternity and into space and time, takes on the form of a bondservant, that through his poverty you might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be, in verse 10, doing what you began and were desire to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, that's not the intent, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathers much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. That's God's economy, the balance of how God works, that everyone would, would share in that blessing of God's goodness. Kind of closing a couple of thoughts just to tuck away and think about. There's a couple of things that I think are important to notice. I was taught an old saying as a kid, and for a long time, I thought it was biblical. Cleanliness is next to godliness. That would be one. You know, they print that up in the church basement down there by the, by the, by the kitchen area. You know, they print that, write that up on the wall. You know, I, I thought it was scripture. I didn't know it was just somebody's saying. Oh, my, I have, and I've got to stop those stories. Um, you just got to hope the gal that used to stir the Kool-Aid in the big giant buckets, you know, that she actually washed her hands because she's in there stirring with her hand like this. And I, oh. mm. I still have trouble with fruit punch. And there you have it. That's why. <laughs> That's the struggle point. This idea, though, he says... And in this, in verse 10, I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. That desire is right. My dad used to tell us all the time, man, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I thought that was biblical also. That was extra biblical, but I thought it was biblical. Uh, it was right to me in my mind. It was cleanliness is next to godliness and the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I thought those were biblical terms. They were taught to me in that way, but I appreciate the truth that's in both in that especially with this idea of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Paul is somewhat saying that same thing here. Hey, that's a good heart. That's a good idea. Follow through with it. There are so many things in our world today, wouldn't you agree, that so many things started 
please stop by. I'll show you my garage. I've got a lot of asphalt there. Good intended projects. <laughs> right down, straight down to the pit. Uh, you know, good intended ideas, you know, projects you want to work on. But the, the significance is not only the good heart, the good idea, but man, finish it. Finish it. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, you guys, when we talked about this, when we were together, and I was sharing with you this project that I was working on about gathering up as we kind of came through, we want to bless these saints in Jerusalem. You know, we're really the beneficiaries. This is Paul speaking. We're really the beneficiaries. The, Jesus kind of came through that group there, and, and we really want to just bless them. They're struggling. We're doing okay. So let's kind of create the equality, the unity there that we can have because it's kind of a little bit of a rift, and this is a great way to kind of be displaying some good fellowship and that we're all in this together kind of thing. It's right. It's a right heart. And he's saying, hey, remember when we talked about that? Hey, about a year ago, remember your willingness, your desire to be a part of that? How many of you ever started something and you thought, man, this, I know this is a great idea and you have this great plan and then just, it just does not get finished. It happens. It just happens. But the heart, when it comes to doing things in the Lord. Specifically here, it's the giving, but doing things in the Lord. Maybe for you, it's, hey, I really want to spend some quality time each day with the Lord. Hey, I really want to spend some time in the Word with my spouse. Hey, I really want to just pray with my spouse. Hey, I really just want to try and make it to church more than once a month you know, this year. But the idea is that we know how this goes. We start things. How important it is, Paul's saying, in some of these matters that in the Lord that we follow through. There's huge blessing in the follow through. We'll talk about that in our next study. The massive blessings of the Lord as we honor him at his word. Having begun these things, man, God started a work in yours and my life. God started that work in our lives. And God started that, but it's a work of his spirit. It's not gonna be fulfilled by the efforts of our flesh, is it? So all of this we gotta keep in the realm of the spirit, that it's gotta be spirit-led inside. And even as it's worked out, again, we'll talk about this when we get to it. You don't wanna do things grudgingly. We wanna have it be a follow-through of the Spirit's work. Hi, this is Pastor Jim. You know, in, in the book of Acts, we learned a great little story. And I think about it sometimes when we wrap up a, a message like we did today and, and how there's just a, a response that kind of stirs in us when we hear God's word. You know, there was a, a guy that was a, a, a Philippian jailer. He was, a, a, you know, just a jail guard, and he realized that the people that he was interacting with uh, were worshiping God and uh, connected with God. And his response when he interacted with these guys, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You know, God's got a plan and a purpose not only for you, but for your family, for your household, for your friends. But it begins with you giving your life to Jesus and getting right with God. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life, but never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you did give your life to Jesus, but you're not walking with him. Either way, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel message, the good news that God loves you and and has a purpose and plan for your life. Anyway, God loves you, and it's a simple prayer of faith, and it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God will forgive you of your sin if you will confess your sin. He will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Let's pray that prayer right now. Jesus, I want to ask that you'd forgive me of all my sin, that you'd come into my heart and make my heart your home. I want to receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for everlasting life. And fill me with your Holy Spirit that my life might please you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.